0: Hi, welcome back to the mom, <laughs> mom and RJ show. Yeah, mom and RJ show. <laughs> I keep forgetting the name of the podcast, but we're going over serial criminals today. We're going over serial bomber. I'm, I'm RJ. This is my mom, Darcel. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Welcome back to our show. But today we're going over the Unabomber, aka Ted Kaczynski. He was a domestic terrorist who used mail bombs to get back at society. He reigned terror over the United States for 17 years and he targeted academies, business executives, using mail bombs. He killed three people, injured 23 from 1978 to 1996. And it was the longest and most expensive manhunt for the FBI. A lot of taxpayer money. Yeah, right? That's almost <laughs> 20 years. That's crazy. And he authored a very long-winded, drawn-out 35,000-word manifesto titled, Industrial Society and Its Future. Which pretty much just, he hates technology. His early life, Theodore Kaczynski was born in Chicago, 1942 to a blue collar working class family. He was Polish and his IQ was 167 in the same range as Stephen Hawking and Albert Einstein. He was too smart, dude. He had one brother who was younger, David, and his colleagues and his family described him as a loner that excelled academically because he was a genius. Yeah. Uh, when he was 10, he moved to the suburbs of Chicago in a neighborhood that was described as, you know, full of immigrants. He was Polish himself. There was a lot of Italians in the area. Um, and he, when when he was later interviewed, he says that his parents pushed him too hard. Because, smart dude, his parents were like, oh, this guy's going somewhere. But he did not go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he graduated high school at 15. Crazy dude and he got a full scholarship to Harvard at age 16. That is crazy. Really smart dude. And he went through a controversial study, but we'll get into that later. After full education at Harvard, he went to Michigan and graduated from there and then became a young the youngest assistant professor in the history of Berkeley when he was hired there. How oh, old was he? Oh, crap. oh, 25, 25 I remember. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um and he resigned two two years later for no reason. So yeah, okay. got a doctorate <laughs> for that job and resigned two years later. And then he lived with his parents. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> very successful guy. Uh, <laughs> he lived with his parents for two years in Lombard, Illinois before moving out. And then he built a weirdo den, mm-hmm. the size of a closet. Oh, yeah, 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 in Montana. <laughs> oh, where was it? We Lumba- no, Lincoln, Montana, middle nowhere. And he was happy there, I guess, as happy you can be in a tiny shed. Shed. <laughs> and then he was disturbed by the encroachment of real estate and industrial development in the area. So just like here, you see a wide open field, and then a week later, it's a subdivision. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's very disturbed about it. And his early career of being a criminal, started with vandalizing construction areas because he was very unhappy. And then we'll get into his target, what he targeted when he became the full-fledged Unabomber. His first target was a Northwestern University professor, Buckley Christ. what a name, Buckley Christ. He mailed it to him by putting his name and address for his office on the return address. So he sent the bomb and then it returned back to him and then when he got the mail, he was like, I never sent this, <laughs> like he yeah. <you> would.
1: Right. <laughs> and
0: so he called the, guard, the security guard. He was very suspicious. And the security guard, it blew up in the security guard's hands. And he got minor injuries to his hand. So smart dude can't even make a bomb. <laughs> You're going to see this trend a lot. He's try, Even though he's smart, cannot make a bomb right. <laughs> try, try, try again. Kinda sucks. His second, oh, luckily, he sucks at making bombs. But his second bomb, 1979, another Northwestern person, they said this time it was a student, John Harris. Huge bomb, blew up in his hands, only had minor cuts and burns. So he's lucky. Either he's lucky or Mr. Ted still sucks. Yeah. And third bomb was meant to blow up a Boeing 727, so he kind of upped the ante. Because he got very frustrated because he sucks. <laughs> but that one also failed. He was thinking third time's the charm. But this time it only released smoke. It did nothing. Cause he put it in the cargo hold. And it released smoke into the cabin. That was it. And then this time the FBI was like, ooh, this might be a problem. And they opened up the case and called it the Unibomb. Universities. It was universities. It stands for something. <laughs> he opened the case with the I, ATF. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was like universities, academies? No, that's the same thing. Buildings, whatever. Pretty much everything he targets. And the FBI opened the case with the ATF and the Postal Service, because they were like, this guy's sending them with packages. And his first series injuries ever, other than the minor ones, was in on May 15th, 1985, in Berkeley where he used to be the youngest professor An air force captain high ranking officer John Hauser opened a package and then the pressure plate went off like I was in the package he was a smart guy like he made them well but and he lost four fingers and vision in one eye so that was the first serious one which that's pretty unfortunate as a veteran yeah uh, but still so, at least he survived the first fatality though December 11th, 1985, same year. A bomb sent to a Sacramento computer store because he hates technology. Right. Back to that. <laughs> but unfortunately, Hugh Scruton died while opening the package. And I might be wrong, I'm 100%, 99% sure, this is where they got the infamous drawing. Someone saw him at that computer store. With, oh. the, with his hood, his little mustache. Gotcha. And for over seven years, Ted continues sending nine homemade pipe bombs, Executives at American United Airlines, academic admin. Yeah, not a very cool guy. I wonder what he had against planes. I mean, that's I mean it's a pretty technologically advanced thing. True. <laughs> but I feel like he was just like, er, I suck at making the first two. Time to make up for it by blowing up a whole plane. Right. Which they said that that bomb was big enough to completely destroy the plane, and it was rigged up to um, altimeter. Mm-hmm. So it was like once you get to a certain height, it was gonna blow up. But right. he sucked at making it. He had the faulty switch, just only smoke. And then he had a six-year hiatus from 1987 to 1993. Like the fancy word hiatus. I love it. <laughs> so I, I guess he sort of like we're on hiatus <laughs> now. I guess he uh, maybe found another job or other pastime. Session. Picked up knitting. Crochet. <laughs> oh, <shame. laughs> and. Yeah, so that lasted up till 90, 1993, and so the three deaths overall was first Hugh Scruton, then Thomas J. Mosser, an advertising executive, and Gilbert Brent Murray, a timber lobbyist, which that was his last attack, was against Gilbert Brent Murray, which timber, I guess he Waking up in his weirdo shed. Ted shed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and maybe he like wasn't happy with them cutting down forests, so he targeted a like, timber lobbyist. So it all kind of connects together. And one of the more serious attacks was against David Galanter, who's a computer computer science professor, and it severely disfigured him. That was most. If it wasn't a fatality, but that was one of the most serious injuries. Uh, overall, 14 attacks killed three, injured 23. Um, so let's go over the bombs because smart guy put them well together, but unfortunately, or not unfortunately, fortunately, the explosives weren't that powerful, so he didn't kill a lot of people. But he took great care to leave no fingerprints and he even left fake clues. I couldn't find examples, but it said that he was very smart, he would leave fake. To you know, kind of throw the police yeah police off off his trail. All of the bombs mailed with the letters FC on the top, and which I thought this was kind of funny. He leaves he leaves other things, memora- like other stuff inside the bomb. So he leave he would leave branches, leaves, like pine corn, <laughs> or pine cones. So why like <laughs> he's like. Looking around for nails and stuff to put in. He's like, oh, this pine cone might hurt. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> and how he was caught. This is probably one of my favorite parts about this case. I watched the documentary forever ago. So when he published this super long manifesto, 35,000 35, words. Um, Which is a lot of words. A lot yeah. of words. <laughs> so he has time on his hands. Yeah. <laughs> Living in his tent shed. In 1995, he blackmailed New York Times and Washington Post. He said, if you don't publish this super long thing, I'm going to kill more people. So they published them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so when the feds saw this, um, James Fitzgerald, he was the first ever certified forensic linguist profiler in the history of FBI in the world. So pretty much he would use words and... Like, language to try to narrow it down because every person speaks different they have dialect from where they're from their age like you always say old, old sayings right and so he kind of like he had a lot of content <laughs> to look through 35,000 30 35, dollars words. words yeah, yeah. there's a lot of content and so they reached out to this. he looked through it and said Well, oh, this person has a very distinct dialect <laughs> like from certain areas like and use old words a smart dude so he probably uses fancy words so he's like oh he's probably well educated and so he sent out to the public and they said hey if they like i don't know grasping at straws they're like hey if you know anyone that speaks like this reach out to us and luckily someone did his brother david throw back to his early life was like hey my brother's talks like this and writes like this so david probably really disturbed went through a frenzy of looking through his old papers he had in his house and probably, you know, what's it called when you get into a college year admission? Letter? Yeah, he was looking through those, his old writings, and he said, yeah, this looks exactly like it. And then pulled through, he pulled up James Fitzgerald, and James Fitzgerald said looked at his old writings and said, this is the same person. Like, it has to be Ted Kaczynski. And so they used this to get a search warrant for his weirdo shed. Shed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they, um, like, kicked down the door, the single door, and they found a bomb under his bed. Weird place to put a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> got to keep it handy. <laughs> <laughs> and they found um, explosive stuff, like, I don't know, explosive stuff, nails, screws. And he said that I thought this was kind of funny. They had he had books about how to make a bomb. So I'm envisioning <laughs> how checking, to make a bomb for dummies. Like, <laughs> checking it out of the library. <laughs> <laughs> a harmful, library how to make a <laughs> bomb? <laughs> it's for a friend. It's for a friend. <laughs> but yeah, so they are like, okay, this is the dude. If you think about that, that's like a that's like a very small reason for someone to kick down your door. Like, hey, he talks like this. Right. Let's look. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I'm thinking, can you imagine being the brother? Like, yeah, he, oh, I think this is my brother. Yeah. You guys. Yeah. And, like, if he, he didn't reach out, like, we would still never know to this day. Right. It's like, I always thought if he wasn't cocky and released his super long manifesto, go. no one would ever know. Because he was so, like, he was so. Uh, like, under the radar, right? Yeah. And he made sure there's no fingerprints on anything. <laughs> Yeah, it was crazy. So, I want to get into the theories of why this dude's messed up. But before we do that, we need to go through our sponsors. woo <laughs> So, thank you to History.com for helping us get the overview of the case. Brit-in- Britannica? Yeah, Britannica.com for giving us a depth review, in-depth review of his psychological profile of Ted. And thank you to Biograph's YouTube channel for laying out Ted Kazinski's whole life as a young kid. And finally, for the Lip TV... They had a 40-minute um, um, interview with um, James Fitzgerald. I actually watched the whole thing. It was a cool thing. They, he like laid out all of like, like forensic linguistics. They are like, yeah, linguistics. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it was, thank you for um, giving me information so I can not stumble through this whole thing. <laughs> so we can talk about it today. Yeah. And so now let's get into the theories. So the first one, interesting... At age nine months, he streamed. Ex- he developed extreme hives, and was kept in isolation from even his parents for ten days. Wow. So that's that'll mess someone up, especially if you're that young. And you know, his colleagues and friends said he was very like isolated, even when he was older. So I think that's probably why he was socially inept. And all, uh, it could be because he's smart, too. Because, you know, like, they say if you're that smart, it'll be hard to relate to people. Right. But still, that probably messed him up as a kid. And well, but it was ten days. As an infant? I mean... You crying? True. With Can't even see his parents? It's probably someone coming in with, like, a hazmat suit, giving him <laughs> Cheerios. Hazmat suit. Like, ten days, I would freak out ten days by myself. True. Okay. It was a little kid. So yeah, that's one theory. This is my probably one of the favorite parts of this. So when he was when he, when he went to Harvard, um, he volunteered for a uh, psychological psychological study. They were like, hey, any smart people come here. So he was like, I'm smart, <laughs> <laughs> and so with uh, 21 other Harvard colleagues, he was in a study by Henry A. Murray, the Harvard psych- psychology professor. So this guy has. Very rich history. Henry A. Murray, he was a colonel in the U.S. Army. Very high-ranking officer. And later in the Office of Strategic Studies. Doesn't that sound... Very official. Very official, yeah, because that was the CIA before they changed names. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) They used to be the Office of Strategic Studies. And his old colleagues said that he was extremely obsessed with mind control. And new evidence shows that Murray may have used LSD in his time with Kaczynski. Oh wow. So not I mean not Murray using LSD, they used LSD on Mr. Ted. Right, back up. Which that'll probably mess someone up. And the study was called Multiform Assessments of Personality De- Development Among Gifted College Men. So that's a very <laughs> long title. Not very catchy, doesn't roll off the tongue. <laughs> and it's to see how gifted men cope with distress. <laughs> Um, maybe not so well. Yeah. <laughs> As we can tell. Especially when you throw in a little LSD. <laughs> and so he, he called all the kids in and said, write a detailed essay, pour your heart out on a piece of paper, describe your beliefs and future aspirations. Just like really pour your heart into this essay. And then these essays were read over by attorneys and the students were then aggressively and abusly, abusively interrogated. And they were insulted for hours on end about... About like, what they wrote? Yeah. Like, oh, god Yeah, imagine. Like, that's traumatizing. Out so I can terrorize Yeah. It? <laughs> and then that's not it. They filmed these interrogations. Oh. And then forced the kids to watch them again to relive it. And they would take their heart rate and such. And Ted Kaczynski got, like, mm-hmm. he, he had the h- highest heart rate out of all of them. Like all the other 21 kids, and like that would mess someone up. Like that would really mess someone up. Like that could have given him PTSD. Right. Yeah, given him hate of like colleges and academies because that's what a lot of his targets were. Right. And have you heard of the MK Ultra program? I have not. Tell it's you. a It was recently declassified. I don't want to say early 2000s they declassified it. The CIA kidnapped prostitutes and uh, homeless people kept them in warehouses, I think it was San Francisco, like like literally kidnapped them and force fed them LSD to try to see if they can come up with a way for mind control. I think this was Cold War era. (laughs) Because it was like Cold War era because they wanted to figure out how to like mind control like people, like spies and stuff. But this is real, like this was declassified. Okay, whatever. Back just to our case. Just randomly plucking people off the yeah, street? Yeah, literally like keeping them in warehouses. But whatever, like back to our case. This was rumored to be a part of the MKUltra. Same time period. Gotcha. Like they were trying to get, time, like, I was about to say time control. Mind control. So, government screwed this one up. sometimes they do that so yeah that's probably my favorite theory about this because that would for sure mess someone up especially because he was still he was fairly young Mm at this time right yeah he would have been 16 yeah that's crazy I I believe it was his freshman year in college he would have been 16 oh right (laughs) crazy so after they after they raided his weirdo shed Ted shed (laughs) I'll never Um, look at a Ted Shed (laughs) this They They indicted him for uh, 10 counts of illegally transporting and using and setting off bombs in 1996. And Ted Kaczynski, smart dude, he probably could have gone off on this, walked away free man, because he was going to prove that linguistic science and forensics was not enough for a search warrant. Which I understand that. Being like, hey, you talk this way, I'm going to kick down your door. Right. And then it's called like fruit bared off a poison tree or something, whatever. Like they say if they raid your house on a faulty um, search warrant, they have to throw all the evidence away. And they can't use it ever again on you. So he would have walked away a free man, except his defense went behind his back and tried to plead he was insane. So he was not able to use this, um, like, way of trying to prove he was innocent—not prove he was innocent, but say you can't use this evidence. And then he refused to plead insane, tried to fire his defense team, and then tried to hang himself, but he failed, Oops. and he ended up just pleading guilty because there's nothing else he could do, and he showed no remorse for anything. And okay, well, I mean, he's emotionally inept. Yeah. And I think he didn't want to plead insane because here he poured his heart out on a 35,000-word essay to try to show the world, hey, technology bad. And then if he pled plead insane, they'd be like, oh, this is just the work of a crazy man. They wouldn't take his super long manifesto seriously. He'd be like, oh, he's crazy. Right. And so they got a psychological profile. That well, and I'm sure he didn't want to consider himself. Nobody wants to think they're crazy. But he was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Usually the crazy ones, don't <laughs> it? Yeah, right? Like living, okay, sleeping with a bomb under your bed. I want to get back to this. Okay. You get the bomb. Would you, would you feel comfortable making a bomb yourself and then keeping it under your bed? No <laughs> and no. <laughs> crazy. Even if somebody else made it. I yeah. still wouldn't sleep with it. So, like, you could not be okay if you thought that was a... and living in a shed in the middle of nowhere. Spending all that... Or, he got a free tuition, because he was smart. But still, going to college for all that time, getting a doctorate, and then living in the woods. And then just wasting it. Yeah. Living with your parents for two years. Come on. <laughs> and, yeah. So, they got a psychological profile by Sally C. Johnson. And... She said that his fourth year in Michigan, when he was getting his doctorate, so this was after Harvard, he fantasized about breaking off from society. So just like when he was a kid, when he was nine, or no, no, nine months, and he was kept in quarantine because of his hives, right. he wanted to be away from society, isolate himself. See, Is full circle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, when he lived in the woods, he was happy until real estate industry Started encroaching on his land, and then he fantasized about killing, and the idea of technology being evil, and so she, in the end, diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia. But he was fit to stand trial, so the defense screwed up big time. First of all, he's not insane, so he can't plead insanity. Right. And then he couldn't do it. He he couldn't even try for his search warrant thing. So he ended up pleading guilty. He's currently he's still alive. I didn't know that until I did research on this. He's serving eight life sentences. That's eight lives. (laughs) (laughs) A little little overkill. (laughs) He's not a cat. (laughs) (laughs) And he's in Florence, Colorado right now. Spends 23 hours in the cell. And they auctioned off... I think this is hilarious. They airlifted his weirdo shit. That's how small it was. They lifted it off with a helicopter. And it's currently in Washington, D.C. right now. In a museum. What? Yeah. I want to go. <laughs> it's literally like the size of the room we're in right now. Probably like two foot, two by two foot. <laughs> not, not, not that small. But like crazy small. It's just a bed, his bombs, <laughs> and his books. Did he have it was, electricity? Like, no. He was in the middle. He built it by himself. What? Middle of the woods, and he tr- taught like he would hunt for his food. Crazy dude. What? But, yeah. That's pretty much it. So. Thank you for listening to the, still a of named the podcast, but the, the Serial Podcast. Serial Podcast by RJ and Mom. By RJ and Mom and our dog, but he took off. Yeah, Barley got, he, he, I think we scared him. Yeah. <laughs> he, he wasn't very, he didn't have much input anyways. So thank you for listening to the podcast and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.